is Becky Gannon, and I'm mad about miniatures. Today, I talked to Paris Renfro about his amazing modern miniatures. Paris is also a co-owner of IMOMA, an upcoming miniature show in Vegas. We'll get the scoop on that. You can find Paris on Instagram at prdminiatures. Let's go talk to Paris. Hello, Paris. Thanks for being on the show today. Hi, Becky. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. I love your modern miniatures. I love everything you're doing. I can't wait to discuss the joy of miniatures. Sounds good. Well, where should we start? Well, why don't you tell me a little bit and our our listeners about how you started in miniatures? How did they first capture your attention? Well, I was a product of the 70s uh, growing up. And back then, I mean, TVs and electronics weren't what they are today. So we really kind of had to be creative and come up with our own ideas of what fun was. We did. So having various materials to be able to make things such as uh, cardboards, papers, Elmer's glue, I had a passion of semi-tractor trailer trucks when I was little. So I had the matchbox cars, the Hot Wheels. So I actually would sit and cut apart and cylinders left over from the toilet paper rolls. I would use those for wheels and Kleenex boxes, whatever I could get my hands on to make these larger trucks. And then later it kind of spread into, I got into BMXing and some skateboarding. So I wanted to make a few skateboard ramps. And then by the time I was in ninth grade, I took a wood shop and I was, it's funny because everybody had these big projects they wanted to build, but in ninth grade, they don't let you build big projects of time in a day. So you had to build smaller things, you know, different little projects. And so, you know, I built the typical box and a few other things, but I was always fascinated with the wood bin the extra scraps that were left over, like, what a waste. My teacher would say, oh, yeah, no, I'll just take those home and I'll burn them. But I thought, well, what a shame. I could turn these into, I could make a deck. So by 10th grade, I actually had built my first 112 scale model house. And I had put plaster walls inside. It had wood framing. It had an oak deck. It had a landscape base with a built-in pool that actually held water. It was so neat that actually when the seniors had their houses exhibited in the hallway, they actually went ahead and put mine in there as well, even though it wasn't part of the school project. So that was my very first kind of exciting lead into with miniatures. And then later on, where it really took off was about 2002, 2003. My wife and I had moved to San Francisco. I was doing some interior design and I went back to my modeling skills Because a lot of times when you're pitching a proposal, you need to create either several drawings or I would just do a a model, which is a lot easier to turn and show different angles rather than doing three or four different drawings, which is what you would have to do to show somebody your proposal. People love miniature models of things. So that helped me obviously get quite a few different jobs. But then it got to the point where some of those clients either asked me to keep the models, which I started charging for later. But then someone actually even come back to me later and say, hey, I have an architect friend and I wanted to get him a really cool gift for Christmas. Could you make like a really cool chair? Because Vitra, obviously, uh, if you're familiar with Vitra, has a line of one six scale, very highly detailed miniature chairs, leather, metal, all of those things, woods, laminated woods and so on and so forth and of, of various classics. And so, of course, they would look at those and some of those would be five, six hundred dollars. So they would come to me and figure, hey, you know. I'll have this guy make me one. 
and I would make something unique, but it was more fun just to kind of create my own design and something new and then sign it. And that kind of was a play off of real life too, because there were some ideas that I wanted to build in full scale, but in some cases, the expense just kind of killed the plan ahead of time, which is really no different than a lot of architects. Architects will come up with a great plan, a great model, a design, but the logistics of building it or how expensive it would be shuts it down. Absolutely. I mean, the finances matter. I just need to go back for one minute. So the idea that you went from the toilet paper rolls to wood shops, I totally get like the little the little bin of scraps. I think every miniaturist feels that pull toward little little items that are left behind. But I'm still sort of wondering how you go from there, especially as a guy who, you know, probably didn't play with miniature houses and stuff. How did you go from there to I'm going to make a miniature house with a deck and a pool? I mean, how did that happen? Okay, there's there's two different things that were very instrumental in the beginning. One of them was the TV show Miami Vice. Show would come on and you just sat down. You were just waiting. It was always the cars, the clothes, and the houses. It was the epitome of cool at that time. South Beach, Miami was the it place to be in the early 80s for a lot of different reasons. But for me, it was this culture. It was the the high-end design, the fashion world. All of it came together, and they showed it to you on one show. And it was just amazing. I mean, just to give you an idea, I mean, when we grew up, it was like Friday Night Lineup was the Incredible Hulk, uh, Dukes of Hazard, things like that. But none of them had any real design. It was still kind of this blasé from the 70s. You're right. It just wasn't exciting. So Miami Vice was the first show to me that really showed you high-end design, high-end fashion, exotic cars, things that you just never would see in any other kind of show. Yeah, that's so interesting because you're right. And in all fairness to Miami Vice, it was really more like a almost MTV video of fashion than it was like a TV show or a murder story. And the houses, I just could not believe these large, white, open floor plan with with this, you know, the contemporary look. And it was like, I grew up in the Midwest. There was no houses like that. There was nothing that I could, that inspired me more than that show. So I considered myself to be a uh, young architect, if you will. So I never really looked at it as I make miniatures. It was really about, I'm a designer. I'm a creator. So really that shop project was really inspired more by wanting to be an architect, by seeing Miami Vice. And also you kind of got into miniatures, maybe not through dollhouses like a lot of women did, but through the miniature model cars. Yes, with the cars, correct. But I also noticed when I would go to a friend's house, and almost most of my friends had siblings so they had brothers sisters i noticed early on that every time you'd walk into a girl's room the color palette would change there were pinks and pastels and things like that which i also later on associated with miami vice because it was a lot of pastels and things like that on the show that i just felt were so well done but then you'd go into the boys room and everything was hard it was always blacks and navy blues and darks which were okay, but even at a young age, I felt like there should be more balance. It seemed like boys weren't allowed to have pink as a color. Right. But, you know, that has changed so much. It has, and I'm so happy it has because it's opened up 
a whole different world of design and fashion and architecture because people see that colors, certain colors, they're mood changers, right? They're total mood changers. And, you know, in color theory, there are certain colors that go together and that don't. And when you when you arbitrarily assign two main colors to different sexes, it, it really closes out a lot of interesting color combinations. It makes us more frustrated because we want to expand. We want to, you know, why can't a guy wear hot pink? Why does he have to be considered gay or you know, a little off if he wants to come out colorful or more vibrant. And I think we finally got over that. I actually know when we got over that because when my boys were little, they didn't want pink things. My boys are about 23 and 26. But somewhere in the last even just 10 years, you know, as they started to be in high school, all of a sudden they weren't afraid to wear pink. You know, I remember getting my phone chargers in bright pink so they wouldn't take my phone chargers. Well, that didn't work. And But when they were younger, you know, maybe 10 years before that, it probably would have. So it's really been a change in, you know, reasonably recent years. Oh, and that was the beauty of the 80s. Neon was huge. And you could have neon pink and neon green on your car and, and be a guy, and it was accepted. But just to play again on being a young kid was not only did when when I would go into, you know, um, the guy's room, I always had Star Wars stuff or G.I. Joe all over the place, which were, were a form of miniatures. But the girls' rooms were a little bit more tidier. There was more color. And a lot of them did have a dollhouse. And I was fascinated because I loved furniture and I loved design. But it was weird because you would always be kind of scooted out of the room like you're not really supposed to be hanging out with the girls and looking at the house right i was kind of like well but this house is really cool and it's frustrating as a young kid i was frustrated so anyways let me jump forward to halloween of 2008 this was when the market had crashed the economy was really low My wife was still working, but my full-size interior design business was really kind of tanked at the moment. It was very similar to COVID because instantly everybody's funds kind of froze up. I remember. They were losing their jobs. They had no financial outlook past, you know, the next few weeks. So anybody wanting to use an interior designer, that was kind of like, that was a wish list. So all of a sudden I was not a necessity anymore. So I had free time on my hands to try to figure out what I needed to do. Had a lot of material in the shop. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to build a really cool modern house. And I had built one that was, you know, kind of the typical Midwestern type house. That was the one I did that was featured with the high school. But for me, I wanted something that was more Miami Vice, something really super clean and super modern. And so I went, went to town and I built one in the shop. And I remember Halloween when people are coming to the door I had it on the inside entryway. And I remember opening the door to give some candy and several people were like, wow, that's really cool. What is that? Like, is that a dollhouse? I'm like, no, it's just it's a model house that I just, I built. And so all of a sudden I had this conversation going and I remember my wife even looking at it like, wow, that's really neat. Like, well, what are you going to do with it? I said, I, I honestly, I don't know yet. And within a few weeks, I remember I was running a, uh, a gallery at the time. It's called AZ Gallery, which is in uh, Lower Town, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I decided to feature it down there. 
and it got a lot of great uh, great reviews. Um, it did not sell there, but nonetheless, a lot of people were really fascinated with it. And the more they were fascinated, the more we would talk about it, the more I would look at it and be like, I really enjoyed building this. After the gallery show was over, I listed it on eBay, and I remember selling it to the husband of an aspiring architect in Chicago. And his wife was a huge Frank Lloyd Wright fan, and that's what you know inspired her to want to become an architect, so she was going to school for it. And he wanted to get her a really cool Christmas present that would mean something to her. That was my first miniature sale. I'm just going to interrupt for a minute for our listeners. Do you have a picture of that first house I can put on so people can see it? Yeah. Okay. People always ask me that. Where can I see the things you talk about? <laughs> That's really interesting. And, you know, it is interesting to me, too, that 2008 and COVID, I think both we had time on our hands. Maybe we all needed something to feel in control, which I often feel is an issue with miniatures, but it feels like yep. that's when those are two big dates when people got interested in miniatures. Back then, I would post things on Shutterfly, if you remember Shutterfly. Oh my God, I do. <laughs> that was even before Pinterest and um, Flickr, okay? Yeah. So Shutterfly was my go-to because that's where I would post all my full-size designs. So I was... I would say somewhat forward thinking because I said, okay, what do you do as a designer? You're dealing with a recession and it's hard to get work to build a portfolio. Right. So I was already posting pictures of my full size work and my miniatures were really just models of concepts that I wanted to build in full size, just like an architect would do. So I would shoot them in a way that they looked full size. And I would post them on my Shutterfly. And one day there was uh, a couple of different bloggers had somehow stumbled across my full-size website. And so she wanted to see about my different pieces and were they available for sale? And did I make any models? And I was confused. So I, I messaged her back and I said, well, what do you mean do I make any models? And she goes, well, I love your full-size stuff. and I love your design. And so she explained herself that she collects miniatures and she does modern and she has a blog looking over all of these different collections of anybody that she knew was doing any kind of pieces in modern because in the dollhouse world, there just wasn't anything modern. So she kind of gave me this whole rundown and asked me would I be willing to make a few extra pieces. And I said, well, actually, the pictures that you're looking at are miniatures. She goes, wait a minute, really? And I said, yeah, they're 112 scale. And so all of a sudden there was this connection and this excited, joyous moment of she found another uh, miniature artisan, which I, again, I didn't look at myself that way. So we connected. She she posted a link um, just to my full-size site. I started getting a lot of different emails. And my wife was like, wow, this is kind of something, kind of a big deal. So why don't we put together a website for you so that you can sell some of these pieces? So that's when PRD Miniatures was born, and we launched it in early May of 2010 was when we first opened it up. And I've been doing miniatures ever since. I just love your miniatures. As someone who, I, I love all miniatures, but my personal style is more modern. And so when I was looking through your pictures, you know, I just was in love because I just love how clean everything is. I love the sort of mid-century modern influence you have and I didn't realize until we were talking in our pre-interview that you actually made one of my favorite pieces of all time which is at the 
KSB Miniature Collection in Kentucky, the penthouse, the New York penthouse. So in 2010, that was the same year that we started the website, was also the same year that Greg Maddell contacted me for, I'm trying to remember the name of uh, the uh, Swan House Miniatures, and said that he also had seen some of my pieces and was going to do the Tom Bishop show. And did I have any modern pieces that he could buy from me? So I said yes, and I was really excited. I drove from Minneapolis to Chicago to meet him at the show. I'd heard about it. was like, wow, this has got to be pretty cool. So long story short, I brought a bunch of pieces to Greg. He set them up on his table. This was the first night of the show, 2010. I was able to get into the show, so I started walking around. Not even an hour later, he sees me, and he runs up to me. He's like, Paris, Paris, we've already sold all your stuff. Do you have any more? And it's kind of like, uh, I brought everything. I said, well, I had a few other pieces. So I brought those into him as well. I decided to do Tom Bishop's show the next year. And that's when I met Kay Browning. Kay came up and saw our table, saw our stuff, and was like, wow, this stuff is great. The thing with Kay is that she has a very discerning taste. She does. If something is wood, it has to be wood. If it's metal, it has to be metal. She likes all opening parts, so on and so forth. So we had a conversation and she said, I've always loved that hotel vibe. And she explained to me how her kids lived in New York City, how they go to visit there every now and then. But at her stage in, in her life, it's probably never going to be something that they're going to buy a penthouse there and, and live there. So she said, I have this museum in Kentucky. You should come see it. It's, it's great. And I'm like, I looked it up and I was like, it, it's definitely on my my go to. I'm coming to see it. It's a fabulous museum. I, I actually interviewed Kay on the podcast. Her eye for design, her collection, her life of traveling and collecting. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. She's one of the most wonderful people in the miniature industry that I've, I've met in, in doing this for, uh, let's see, 12, 13 years now. She's just so warm and endearing. What she's done for the town of Maysville, Kentucky, how she's she's brought in the history. This is not just a, you know, a wealthy woman who has a collection of miniatures that decided to put them in the local museum. This is somebody who really believes in the local history, has done a lot of philanthropy work there, and has really helped revive that, that part of Kentucky and really helped bring back some of the history that was lost. One of the things she had commissioned was the uh, Baptist church there that had burnt down which was never rebuilt, but she had it rebuilt in miniature to every detail. And I just, I can't imagine what it's like for anybody that knew what that place was when it was, when it was there before it burned down. And now they're still able to go to a place and see it. She also had, I believe it was sort of a big drugstore uh, recreated, a big building. And actually, because she'd done it in miniature, when it burned down, they used the angles from the roof and the details from the miniature to rebuild it. One of the things I love about Kay is she sort of lets people do what they do best. So maybe you can describe a little this this penthouse you did for her, which I think just timeless in its design appeal. When Kay contacted me, like I said, we had this conversation at, at the Tom Bishop show then I saw her again in 2013 at the Castine, uh, Maine, uh, when they do the uh, the summer courses up there. And we talked for a little bit, and I just thought, well, you know, she's a really nice lady, but I wasn't going to hold my breath on, you know, what kind of project we were going to do. Finally, in 2019, I believe, 
she contacted me and she said, okay, I'm finally ready to do it. And I'm like, uh, what are we ready to do? So then she brought back up the whole thing about New York and her kids. And she said that she wanted something that was contemporary, modern, and very New York. So I said, okay, I'll come up with a few ideas. I said, but one, one thing is my process is I want to come out. I want to see your museum. I want to spend an afternoon with you, whatever, and really get to know you. And she actually hosted me. She didn't need to, but she hosted me when I went out there. So I stayed with her at her home. And so I went in and, and just checked out the museum and saw their facilities, how everything works. And in a way, it was very intimidating because everything was so to perfection. I thought to myself, and because she, she's always reminding me, Paris, you know, I love your style, but remember, we got to bring this up a notch. We have to bring this up a notch because, you know, I've done a lot of stuff with various veneers and, you know, some paper things and stuff here and there are some laminates. You know, if she wants a slate floor, you got to get her a slate floor. You're not going to be able to do something and paint it black. So when Kay wants it real, she wants it real. The silverware is made of silver. The guilt on Princess Diana's uh, ancestral home is not done with a, you know, gold marker. It's done with actual gold. So at that point, we knew we had a, a decent sized budget to work with. I knew I had a time frame of 10 to 12 months. So we had enough time to do it. But now it's a matter of I don't have time to go to New York and just start running around and looking for something and getting ideas. So I just started searching the Internet. What I found was a picture. And I can also supply this to you, too. A picture of the New York Intercontinental Hotel. The penthouse suite has a corner unit with these beautiful, probably 20-foot ceilings of, of glass overlooking Manhattan. And it was just beautiful, beautiful imagery. And so I sent her that picture and I said, Kay, this is my idea of what you're talking about. What do you think of this? And she called me back. She said, Paris, you have my attention. If you can capture what we see in this image and add a kitchen and a bathroom and a bedroom and an entryway, a foyer, all those different things, and then add some cool built-ins on the wall and the fireplace wall because she had a beautiful pottery collection that she wanted to showcase. I think uh, Pita Kisto is, is one of her favorite ceramic artisans. And so she had all these different pieces and she had a few different furniture pieces already that I had to incorporate. But as an interior designer, I know to do that anyways. I know a lot of different people have certain momentum or memento pieces, heirlooms, such and such that you need to incorporate. It's not as simple as watching HGTV when they just get rid of it, the person's stuff and just stage it with all new stuff. That's not really how it works. In uh, deference to HGTV, when they do that, they're usually budget makeovers. They don't usually have priceless treasures like K. <laughs> yeah, very good point. So I knew what my parameters were, but I had to start from that corner room that was the inspiration. So that corner, the, the, the big feature in the living room, I just built off of that and I just kind of went freestyle. The trickiest thing for that whole project, though, was finding that view. I mean, the design is beautiful, but when you're walking by, what gives you that feeling of New York is that view. So was that dimensional? How did you make that? I had to scour almost every website to find that image, and I'll tell you why. 
a lot of the shots of New York City or any city for that matter are taken aerial. Okay, so they're taken from a helicopter or something. So they're way too high. They're above all the other buildings. I think of things that way because if you're looking out a window, I really want it to be practical. Found this picture. I almost sat back and had a tear or two because I was so elated that I found the one that I knew would pull the whole thing together. And that's the genius of the picture you picked. I really felt like I was in a penthouse or a hotel or a restaurant looking out the window. And I think for myself as an artist, artisan, you take pride in not just what you create in miniature per se, but also as a designer. I'm not this person who just makes really cool miniatures and copies plans and stuff that somebody else does. I create a lot of my own content and I don't see it as miniature. I just see it as really good design. So when I get this feedback and these people who have visited the museum and has seen this penthouse and how much time they stood there looking at all the different details, that's a prideful moment for me because I've never built anything to that scale in full size. I've done a lot of lofts and things like that in full size, but never a really high-end penthouse that might have been a you know several million dollar remodel. Never done anything like that. So to do it in miniature and to get the same feedback and response from everyday ordinary people. Yes, these people love miniatures, but there's doctors, lawyers, designers, uh, architects, all different types of people that come in there to see the historic parts of Kentucky that, that Kay has preserved there. But when they see something like that, it's kind of like something fun, something unique, something different that they did not expect. And that's exciting to me because even though I'm not a full-size architect, I've been able to accomplish being an architect, being an interior designer, being an artist where I'm being commissioned to do various projects, just doing miniature pieces, I've lost track, but I've done over 10,000 pieces since I started back in like 2002, 2003. That includes art pieces, accessories, rugs, houses, furniture pieces, kitchens, bathrooms, pretty much everything you can think of, I've, I've built it. That's interesting. I will also say that uh, when you said ordinary people but miniatures that come to the museum, I would say my husband comes with me whenever we go to the museums. And he actually first found out about KSB miniatures before I do as a surprise for my birthday. We went there. And I have to say, in terms of husband attractions, you and the Hobbit House are right up there. <laughs> Two very different styles. But uh, that was because of Lord of the Rings. But I watched this, and I've been back many times, and I watched what the men that are dragged along um, look at. And the funny thing is, after the first room, they are no longer dragged along. Nope. And many of them stop, like I did. Well, everyone stops at the penthouse. But that's another big, just magical moment that you've created. And to me, it's not even just that the design and everything is beautiful. I think what Kay and you... Kay wanted to capture and that you did capture is, as I walk by, to me, that is my quintessential New York fantasy of living in New York. That's what it looks like. I'm transported into a lifestyle, a time, a fantasy. This is my favorite part of the feedback is almost everyone who gets it and gets that feeling feels like they live there. Yes. To see something in person 
but to feel like it fits you, even though it's not even your home, just to me, that's that was what I wanted all along. But more importantly, when I revealed it to Kay and her husband, I remember the look on her face. I was scared at first because I didn't know, does she like it? Does she not like it? I was able to watch her emotions change from kind of the shock and awe to, wait a minute, what? And looking at all the different details, you could just see her eyes darting around. And then I saw her body kind of relax and her shoulders drop down. And it was almost like a, a sigh of relief. Of, I, and she said, I'm finally home. It was like this was her dream all along. And I was able to go into her head and somehow pull it out and create something that emotionally she could connect to and not just something that was neat that she paid for. It was like, all right, yeah, that'll work. People are going to like it because it's modern, it's contemporary, but still not have that connection. He had instant connection to it. And I just felt like that was the greatest challenge that I was ever put up to that I, I succeeded. The other thing I love about it is that in a way, Kay actually does live there. She is a 3D model of herself and her husband. She does. And I finally convinced her to do that. The people from Holodeck 3D, she invited them to come to the gallery or to the museum there in Kentucky and set up their scanning equipment. And then everybody got to do the different scanning. So she and her husband went in and, and did the, the scannings and, you know, different views. And I think she wanted those just for fun and different different scenes, but I don't I think it took her a little while. But when I revealed it, I actually had one of me and my wife in there. And she liked it so much that she said, I want to keep those in there because you'll be the first artisans that actually occupy the structure that you designed and built for me. But I think it's really exciting because now people can get scans of loved ones especially after they've passed and you can still have them all in a room that you hold dear to you. So there's a lot more to 3d scanning and getting these miniature uh, mini me's printed of us than just, Oh, you know, you have some neat figurines that you collect and, and put inside of your house. Right. It means more than that. Right. Paris, I would be remiss if I didn't say on top of all this creative work you're doing, you're also now um, partners in the show in Vegas, right? That's coming in February of 2023. And do you want to tell us like who you're doing this with and a little bit about it? Yeah, so IMOMA, for anybody that, that doesn't know what it means, stands for International Market of Miniature Artisans. What we wanted to do is create a show that if you've been to several different miniature shows, you'll understand that a lot of these different shows are limited to scale. So you can have 112 scale, half scale, or 144 scale. There's a lot of wonderful miniature artisans out there who work in various scales. Could be 132nd, they could be 164. They just it doesn't really matter the scale when you see how they present their work. And we really wanted to have a marketplace and a social gathering of artisans, enthusiasts alike, that can come to one place, see some of their favorite artisans, maybe some that they follow on Instagram or Pinterest or TikTok or whatever. And the thing about going to other miniature shows is, yes, you can go there and shop and see some of these artisans. But the reality is, let's say yourself, if you show up 
unless you wear a huge badge that says, hey, it's me, I'm Becky, and here's my my blog, and so on and so forth, nobody really knows that you're there. You kind of get glimpses of some people, but because we do all this online, we don't have that person-to-person connection like we do at the miniature show. So we thought, what a great way to promote this, and let's really take what's going on with social media and run with it. So IMOMA wants to be, we're, we're trying to work ourselves to be like a mini con where we can have what we're calling our influencers, such as someone like yourself, that has a, a fairly large following of enthusiasts, people who love your work, the content that you put out, but to get everybody in one place. So if we can have some influencers show up where we can do some either book signings or just kind of a meet and greet sessions. And this is not an original idea. I actually picked this up because I would go to full-size design shows, but it it really gets people excited to know, hey, I'm going to the show. And then when you look at like Comic-Con, Comic-Con does the same thing. It's just a really big, happy event where people get to come and share their passion, meet some of their favorite stars, listen to what inspires them. So we thought if we if we apply that in our platform, in our show, we can really help each other out. It helps us out because it helps us promote the show. It helps us get new artisans to come there to be vendors, to sell various things. But it also gets the enthusiasts to come to the show, whether they're buying or not, because now they come as a social event. Now they're coming to meet some of their favorite uh, Instagrammers or YouTubers or whatever, and it all just so happens we're all in the miniature world. And I think it's brilliant. I think especially during COVID, there's so many people who started during COVID, and even people who are already doing it, because other avenues of social expression were, were sort of cut off. I actually started during COVID, but I know even the people who didn't, they became more, you know, talking to different people. I have friends in other countries. And then when you go to these things, you want to meet them. You want to meet them in person. You want to talk to them. Yep. And that's something that's missing. Even in my business, I don't get to meet a lot of my clients, unfortunately. You know, I get the emails or I might get, you know, a few phone calls here and there. And then when it's done, you know, I send them some pictures and I, I wrap it up, pack it up and ship it out. And then every now and then I'll get a few pictures afterwards. But it's just it's just not the same. Person to person contact is missing. It is not. When I went to England, I put a little something on one of my stories saying I'm coming to England, and a couple people said, we want to meet you. And I just had conversed by Instagram Messenger. But, you know, when we met in a little cafe, I felt like I'd known them forever. We had no we had no problem finding things to talk about. It was just such a highlight. So I know what you mean. I think it's a great idea. And here I'll do a drum roll. I'm coming to Vegas, baby. We're excited to have you. And when I say here, I want to um, let everybody know that IMOMA is a collaboration between myself, Cindy Gonzalez, uh, her son, Jeremy Gonzalez, who helps us out on a lot of the contracts and back-end work and putting together the website and things like that. And then we also added Lisa Hicks. She does our marketing, and she, she also runs a wee bit teeny uh, modern minis. I love her stuff, and she's actually the first one who contacted me quite a few months ago about it. And she is a welcome addition. She's refreshing. She's really helping us promote this and make this to what we really want it to be. And we really, again, we want this to be a platform for all these different miniature artisans 
some point we'll probably get to a point where we might have different uh, kind of like if you go to a bishop show and he's got you know he's got a room just for dolls and then he's got the kind of out in the hallway a lot of times if anybody has got like larger doll houses kind of that's where they're at things like that we want to have the space to kind of have you know various miniature artisans there's there's some different artisans out there though that do uh there's a guy called he he's small scale la he also started during the pandemic lost his job and his passion is a lot of the old historical restaurants and in store retail fronts of los angeles and then a lot of these can be sold to be hung on a wall that kind of thing or you know set on a little platform but i want to feature a lot more artisans like him and the thing about that is you can't really take something of his and just put it inside of a dollhouse. So that's the difference of going to a dollhouse show is someone like him might be left out because it doesn't really work with their criteria, if you will. You want to make room for more variety and scales, but also for more of the art end of the miniature art. Exactly. Okay, so how does that play with, you know, there's a lot of people who collect Barbies. Mm-hmm. And the the stuff in one six is much more, you know, it's gone beyond Barbie Dreamhouse, gotten just as beautiful as in other scales. Are you going to have some of that there? We will at some point, but it's going to take, for instance, our first person, she's one of our fir- very first min uh, influencers, is going to be Grandma Gets Real. Tanya, my friend Tanya, we're so excited about meeting each other in person. And I think having her there, I think her promoting it, there are a few other uh, one-six scale artisans that I'm reaching out to. I was invited to go to a Blythe show. I had built a larger one-six scale room box, which worked great as a staging piece for the table. But everyone that came up was mostly interested in the girls' dolls and what they were wearing and how their hair was and things like that. So I think that's been a detractor for other artisans to do shows like that because they just felt like there wasn't enough of a demand. There wasn't enough of a market. So I think people such as Tanya being able to put it on their blog and say, look, if you're looking for these kind of things, these are some of the artisans that may be at your show. And then they, they will start to come. So that's where we working together can connect. And then you'll start to see more things like that at a show because it's really hard to get an artisan to come if they come and they don't sell one item. Right. So let's say you're interested in some one six scale pieces, but you also want to meet someone such as Tanya and a few other um, influencers that might be there. Plus you see, hey, there's going to be this Star Wars setup that these artisans had created. That's going to be on a large eight foot table. You know what? That's kind of neat. Maybe my husband might want to see that. Wait, is there really going to be a big Star Wars? Yes. There's an artisan, Jordan Afonso, Basically, what he did was he reached out to a lot of different artisans throughout the world, including myself, and said, hey, I love your work, whatever. I'm actually working on this tiny art experiment, he calls it. And what I'm doing is everybody's going to contribute a little bit of something. And it's all going to be the Star Wars theme, like they're on Tatooine, planet Tatooine. And so you get this sandy um, Star Wars little city on this desert moon, if you will. And so he's created a lot of these different pieces and people from all over the world sent him pieces. And now he's putting it all together. They want to professionally shoot it and they, they needed a place to put this. And he actually lives up in Reno, Nevada. So he's not that far. So then he reached out to me 
and said, hey, you know, I see that you're doing this show, I'm Alma. It's, it's based on miniatures. This is essentially miniatures. Could we work together and have this there? I'm like, absolutely. This is exactly the kind of thing that we need to bring in some of the other people from the public. Otherwise, they won't come to a show like ours. We want people to come to really have an immersive experience. Like I said, person to person, meet like that, but also see the various range of miniatures because you can see that all day long on Instagram. But to be able to meet them in person see their artwork in person i am so excited i am actually a huge star wars fan as is my husband and i can't wait to tell him that's really exciting news you know i think when people think of a dollhouse enthusiast they see this little old lady in an apron or something and i love that what you're doing is trying to bring that this is art and everyone can experience art in Everyone can love the art, and it can be art of all different things. It doesn't have to be one thing. And I love that, and I think it's a really important thing to do for the miniature community and to bring variety and excellence to this so that we can all enjoy it. And it's also a renewed energy for the passion and to help spread it. Because I think when I've seen some people, when they walk through a a typical dollhouse show and they have their kids in tow and they're trying to show their kids the interest, Or even you hear about people that have collections and then they pass away and their kids and their grandkids just aren't interested. We're losing a pastime. So by doing this and bringing it into the future and adding electronics and all the things, the digital era, now they're starting to see that it is cool and that it's okay to be creative in whatever form that you create and that there are people and places for you. I love that you're starting to see more artisans in art exhibits that are miniaturists and that there are starting to be more miniature art gallery shows around the country that I've seen. I think it's so important to show that there's so many different ways to make miniatures. And, you know, we have to open the doors to kind of include everyone. It's not just one thing. And I love that. I really do. Well, and again, the pandemic has really allowed a lot of us to kind of sit back, reflect a little bit, refine what we're doing. It sent some of us in totally different directions, but we needed that. We need, it's, it was kind of a forced epiphany for a lot of people. Bringing people back face-to-face to promote further creativity, whether it's the younger generation or even older generation. You know, for people who are just coming into their retirement, we want to encourage them to pick up a hobby or something with miniatures as well. The beauty of it is it doesn't take up a lot of space. And let's let's face it, yes, miniatures can get expensive. But the more variety that's out there, we all know that there's going to be something for everybody so that you can have different levels of startup plans. So when people get a chance to learn, whether they're taking classes, learning how to do certain skills themselves, just meeting other people to help get some pointers, And making those connections is really what our show is intended to do. That's so interesting because in many ways, that's why I started this podcast. As I was meeting people in the miniature community through Zoom, through messages, you know, I was really struck with, I loved when people talked about, you know, why they made them, how, not just how they made them, but why they made them and what it meant to them. And, you know, part of the effort of this podcast is to share that love of creativity and to show all the different things we can do with it. You know, to say, 
hey, you can be creative. It's valuable. It's important. And that's what you're doing with the show, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, Paris, I've so enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for sharing so much. And I can't wait. I will be there in February. Let's see. What's the exact date? February. It's February 22nd through the 26th. So the 22nd and the 23rd of the actual wholesale show. So for your listeners, that's just for wholesale buyers for like brick and mortar stores. People have online stores. But the retail portion starts. So the show is going to be that Saturday and the Sunday. And I will be there. I'm going to bring a good supply of my Mad About Miniatures mini mugs. And I can't wait to meet everyone who comes. It'll be so exciting and a great chance to get together. So thanks for sharing why you do what you do. I think it's been really fun. And we really hope to see a lot of you at the IMOMA show. Come share the passion and the joy of miniatures. We look forward to seeing you all. How else can we end but on that lovely note? So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed talking to Paris. And, Paris, have a great day, and I will see you in Vegas. I really enjoyed talking to Paris about all his cool modern miniatures. I'm also really excited that I'll be in Vegas at IMOMA this February, and I hope you'll come, too. My next podcast comes out Tuesday, December 6th. Until then, remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except the ones you create for yourself.